Well, good morning. How are you feeling? Good. This morning we're beginning a new series and we're going to go through the gospel of Mark. Now that word gospel is really important. That word gospel is euangelion in the Greek. And the reason it's important is because it was always used in uh, history during this time during the, amongst the Romans and even amongst the Greeks and the Jews when there was going to be the rise of a new king. As you had a king ascending to a throne and you had a, a royal changing of the guard, if you will, Uyen Galleon, the good news was, was the word used during that period, is prevalent then. And that word good news was in hopes that this king would be a good king. So Mark's gospel is written to the Romans and it's all about the rise and the ascent of a king. It's the King Jesus. Now, coming out of an amazing weekend in Axis, how many of you are grateful that God is evidently stirring in our midst? Amen. Coming out of the series Callings, where we looked at how God has enlisted us and what he saved us for, I want to tell you, I want to remind you again, it's more important, it doesn't matter uh, the title we wear, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, if if we are not first children of God. It's, it's, un, it's unimportant. Listen, it's, it is secondary to know what you were saved for and how you're going to engage in this king's kingdom and the role that you were to play until, until you yourself are saved. Hello? Until you've moved from death to life, child of wrath unto child of God. The engagement in Jesus' kingdom starts by submitting to him and recognizing that. Mark knew this all too well, and he gives us this incredible picture in his gospel, and we're going to get into it today. Hopefully today what we're going to see is that we need to be incredibly thankful, incredibly grateful for Jesus and the fact that he has given us new life and the fact that he allows us to enter his kingdom at all. That he loves us that much, that while we were still sinners, he would die for us in the remission of our sin that we'd be called children of God, that we'd get to wear that title. I want to say that this is the most important point in anyone's life. It was the most important point in my life, um, the day of salvation. And, and I, I want to remind us that there are many significant things that we'll walk through in life, many significant moments, but none more significant than the day that you truly come alive in the name of Jesus, where you where you lay down your life and you trade worshiping yourself for life and listening to his kingdom and worshiping him. Today may be that day for someone. Today may be the day of salvation for someone here. And I hope that to be true. But to those significant moments, how many of you remember the day you graduated from high school? How about uh, graduated from college? Yeah, maybe the day that you were married. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember high school graduation and how nervous I was and how life had begun. I remember uh, not knowing what to expect after graduating college because it was like, now I really have to get a job. I remember, I remember marrying my wife like it was yesterday. You know, I remember the birth of each of our children where she is in the hospital and in the room and I have in the first child, never been through this and people are coming and going and it's busy and I've never seen my wife in so much pain and she's writhing in pain and cursing the day that I was born and 
it was just magical, right? <laughs> I remember this moment, and John Mark is trying to remind us that in his gospel, the days that we are to look at through his gospel, the shortest gospel of all the gospels, begin with a very significant moment. We're only going to look at the ministerial years of Jesus' life through the gospel of Mark. It's all he covers. And it ends with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The thing that brings us all together and brings us to faith and gives us life was the fact that he died so we wouldn't have to. He took his punishment, our punishment upon himself and, and he died as a ransom for us in our place. But it begins with, it begins with, it's bookended with a really important picture and it's Jesus' baptism. In Mark 1, you see the baptism of Jesus. And his baptism is like ours in many ways, but unlike ours in others. The Gospel of Mark was written to reveal to the Romans that he, Jesus, was king, but he was also the suffering servant. Let me read from Mark 1, verse 4. It says this, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins, and John wore camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and then tie the strap of his sandals. Now I want to stop there because I want to give you our first point today. There's a significance to the messenger. The messenger here is John the Baptist. This, this passage has one prophecy in it. And it's not even about Jesus. This entire book has one prophecy and it's about John the Baptist. If you remember as we went through Christmas and we looked through the story of the Advent, how incredibly important the coming of the forerunner, the preacher that was foretold, the one crying out in the wilderness, it says it in actually Mark 1, chapter 2 through 3, it says it like this. It says, the only prophecy, verse 2, as is written in the Isaiah uh, by Isaiah the prophet, see, I'm sending you a messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight. John coming into the world gave everyone an indicator that something was coming, that the Messiah, the one that was promised, the one that was prophesied was coming. And Messiah, we'll get into it in a moment, means king or redeemer of the Jews. And so what they intended, what they anticipated was to be made royalty. But John the Baptist, the forerunner, was the one to preach and kind of pave the way so that people would recognize. His method was different. His coming uh, into the world was uh, very marked. If you remember again in Christmas, we looked at it like he was given to a set of parents who were priestly but yet barren. And as, as Zechariah comes out of the temple when he's told that he'll be given a son, he's mute, he can't speak. So this signifies and gives attention to everyone that the silence that has existed for 400 years in the intertestamental period may be broken. That God is doing something and that Zacharias, when he went in, met with the Lord and something happened. If you remember when uh, Elizabeth becomes pregnant, comes into contact with Mary, the, obviously the virgin, the son, or, sorry, the, the mother of our Savior, Jesus. 
says John, her son, leapt within her womb and became filled with the Holy Spirit. Something significant about this man. But if you recognize what we know about him, I want to go back and read it for a second. John was different. Not just because of the way he came in the world, the way he navigated life made him different. It says in verse 6 that John wore camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. This, this messenger signified something that looked different than the rest of the world. He was kind of a wild man. He was kind of a, a, a wildly homeless individual. And he came with a method that didn't make sense to anyone. John the Baptist would show up and he was born six months before Jesus' cousin. And he would begin ministering six months before Jesus. This moment we're going to look at is six months into his ministry. From six months from this point, John will lose his life and be, be beheaded. So for those of you who weren't aware, John the Baptist only had a ministry that lasted a year. And as he came, he did so. They called him John the Baptizer. Many people were signified by what they did in that moment. Baptizer was different than any experience because Jews were used to ceremonial washing of hands and feet. This was ritualistic. If you've ever been to um, like a feast with Jews, what happens is there's a ceremonial like water dish that is passed and you dip your hands in and then a towel follows behind you to dry your hands. This signifies cleansing, but it's completely unsanitary because everyone is doing it. There's no soap. There's no like we're all just passing germs. And, and I want the, what he's pointing out is that he like sees this. He recognizes this. So God gives John a really significant ministry because they've, they're used to the ceremonial cleansing of hands and feet. They're used to the unsanitary practice of that. They're used to the, the ritualistic, which means is, is supposed to mean cleansing. But he comes with this message of repentance. And it is a picture that they must be dipped. The word baptizo means to immerse, to dip completely from head to toe, that they must be completely immersed. So instead of just a ceremonial cleansing of the hands where we dip or the feet into a bowl, two inches of water, he's talking about being completely immersed. And the people all over the Judean countryside and Jerusalem are coming in droves. Because they knew at his birth he was different. They knew because he ate locusts and honey and lived amongst the, the wilderness and was wild. They knew that this man was different. Now he starts saying a message. He's saying a message that Messiah is coming and you must repent. This, this puts him aside. It separates him. So much so that all of the people... Because they, they know and they're, they're trusting that there's an ascent that's happening. This word, this good news, this Galion is going around. They're going, there must be a king coming. And John has come as the forerunner. And here comes the Messiah. So we have to repent and be ready so that we can enlist in his kingdom. We have to turn from our evil ways and worshiping ourselves, turn from even our ritual so that we'll be ready to enter his kingdom. We don't want to miss it. We want to be cleansed and ready to go. In Matthew 3, I want to cover this for a second. This message became so big that even Jesus, the, the religious leaders started following suit. 
In Matthew 3, let me just read it. Uh, one thing that's not covered in, in Mark's account of this, and I think it's important, verse 6, it says, um, or verse 5, Then people from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the vicinity of Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit, consistent with that of repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham from, their, from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but there's one who's coming more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here's the point. The Pharisees and Sadducees start to come in droves as well. The religious leaders see all the people leaving the city and coming out to the wilderness to meet John to be baptized for repentance in preparation for the coming king. These leaders don't want to be counted as missing, so they show up. And before Jesus comes, you imagine the picture. There they are at the Jordan, and on the banks are the people waiting to be baptized, saying, we want to repent, we want to turn our back on our old lives, we want to be prepared, we want to enlist in his kingdom. Here come the, the Sadducees and Pharisees, and John won't baptize them. The religious leaders are told to stay on the banks. Unless you show fruit of repentance, you, uh, like a life of repentance, you can't do this. He's saying this is for those who are willing to change their ways, who are not banking on their own self-righteousness. These are people who are coming and desire to enlist in the kingdom as servants, not expecting to be celebrated as kings themselves. So, he looks at these religious and he says, you're apostate unless your life is willing to be like, he said, like Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, born again, unless you're willing to humble yourself, not bank on your own self-righteousness and what you can achieve or what you can earn. There is no list of checks and, and list of not checks that you can do to earn this gift that is coming. So unless you're willing to embrace that, do not touch this water. Don't come near. Don't come back until you bear fruit of repentance. You bear fruit that is good. The ax is here and is cutting down every tree that doesn't bear good fruit. And see, the irony in this is that John had a problem with baptizing the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he told them no, but he also had a problem with baptizing Jesus. If you remember, it says that he didn't want to baptize Jesus. This whole moment almost didn't happen because John was unwilling to baptize the one who was sinless. His message was a message of repentance. And Jesus had nothing to repent of. So John looks at Jesus as he comes and says, you must baptize me. He goes, no, 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 the other way around. Like, you baptize me, Jesus. Like, I am, I'm human. I'm not God in human form. And so there was this problem that John had with baptizing Jesus because he didn't, he wasn't sinless. He didn't need to show any sign of repentance. But this is where our baptism and his baptism are different. See, humans come because there's a need to repent. 
We come because repentance precedes the spirit of a broken and a sinful people. Sinful people require repentance. And this repentance precedes the acceptance of his spirit indwelling us. This was John's message to the people. He had a problem because Jesus was coming and the opposite was true. He didn't need to repent. He was the one that we were coming to worship. John felt an unworthiness come over him as Jesus approaches his shores and requested things be turned. But see, the ministry of Jesus is what's being covered in the Gospel of Mark. Ministry has always and will always be about obedience. Jesus comes not because he needs to be repenting, not as a, as a sign of repentance. He comes as an example for you and I and out of obedience to the Father. It says in Scripture, there was nothing that was left undone that Jesus didn't follow to the letter in obedience to the Father. And he comes present with the Holy Spirit under the submission to the Father to be baptized, immersed, and, and to signify, to like give validation to John's ministry as he walks into the water and goes from head to toe under as an example for us. Example for us who are going to enlist in his kingdom to be obedient to whatever the Father says. So John reluctantly baptizes his cousin. See, salvation is a gift. It must be accepted and received. That's what he was trying to say. And in Matthew 3, you see the contrast of him not, him not baptizing the unrepentant in the religious and the self-righteous. And he doesn't want to baptize Jesus because he doesn't need to repent, but he will baptize because he's obedient. And it is said that the baptizer, John, as a part of his role in his year-long ministry, this point being the, the middle of that, and the only time we see the two talk in Scripture, the only time they're around each other in Scripture that we can record other than within the womb, this very important, significant moment, it's because Jesus is being obedient. In Psalm 34, 18, it says this, The Lord is near to those who are broken in heart, and he saves such who are contrite in spirit. That word contrite means this, that we become broken over our own sin. And, and the message that John was giving to the people, like that people have to repent. Like we have to turn from the fact that not only have we messed up, but that our sin hurts God, that it breaks his heart. Like our offense is against him and him alone. In Psalm 51, it says that. It says 51.4, against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. It's, it's not that Jesus comes for repentance, but he comes an example and obedience to the Father so that we will that we'll turn to the Father in obedience and we'll repent. We must see ourselves as offensive to God, like our very lives, our, like the breath that was put in us that Wade just prayed about was given to us that we would give it back to the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Even this morning, how much of your breath has been this morning more for worship of yourself than it has been for Jesus? From the moment you woke up. I know how difficult it is to get to church I know what it's like, but how much of your breath week in and week out is actually used more for self-preservation than it is worship of the Lord Jesus? 
And that's what he's trying to say here. Jerry Bridges in The Pursuit of Holiness said it like this. He said, we must be broken over the fact that our sin offends and breaks the very heart of God. It's not, it's not that we're sinning against just man. We're sinning against God primarily. When we continue, continue to worship ourselves. What do I mean by that? Hey, decisions that you make to self-preserve, how else would you define that? That's what? Self-worship, right? I, I, I mean, I want to engage, but only if it's comfortable. I want to engage, but I want to do it in this way. And yes, I, I have to be smart. I have to make an investment, sure, in the kingdom, but, but will it benefit me? Mark 1, 8 and 9 says this. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. Why? Because it had to be so. Third point, this moment, this significant picture, Jesus' baptism is incredibly important because Let me ask you a question. Let me just go off script here for a second. How many of you think that the moment that Mary showed up because she had heard her cousin was pregnant with the Savior of the world, how many of you think that, that Mary runs to Elizabeth's house and the moment Elizabeth is in the presence of Mary and the, the babe that she is carrying, her baby inside is filled with the Spirit and leaps and if you remember, Elizabeth begins to prophesy. She begins to preach and prophesy to the truth of the Messiah that's being carried. How many of you think that was like their last encounter after that? How many of you think they're related, they're cousins, and ritualistically, you have so many feasts throughout the Jewish custom and family's incredibly important. How many of you think that if Elizabeth has just met the woman carrying the Messiah, the one that has been promised for centuries, the one that all the Jewish people have waited on, the one that will, will bring them to royalty and God's chosen will finally reign over the earth. How many of you think she had this moment and she said, well, that was cool, and then went on in life? No, we only see John and Jesus show up in this moment together, but they know each other. They know of each other. I believe that their mothers probably talked about the significance of both these boys to them repeatedly. And could you imagine like gathering for a family feast? Let's just say it's like, like, like family, like, uh, what do you call those things? The what? Reunion. Yeah. Okay. It's not even a feast. It's just, we're just getting everyone together and we got the shirt that has our name on it. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? Let's just say that like all the wives get together and hanging around around the, well, the watering cooler. Can you imagine the discussion that goes on like this right here? Like the women are looking at Elizabeth going, so how's John? Uh, he's odd. You know I mean? He's kind of weird. Like he won't wear what we put out for him. He, he, he won't eat anything but locusts and bugs. He spends all his time. He won't come home. He's out in the wilderness. He won't come home. And then like, they turn to Mary and it's like, okay, well, how about Jesus? He's perfect, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, and like, she's not being facetious. It's like, this is, 
And how many mothers would love to be able to just drop that mic, you know? John, he's super weird. Not sure when he's coming home. Jesus, perfection. John came six months preceding Jesus in his ministry and in life. Jesus comes from Nazareth as another signifier. That's why it's listed here. I want to be clear. Nazareth was like, for all intents and purposes, um, completely uh, irrelevant. Like it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from Galilee, but no one knew where Nazareth was. Nazareth was unknown. It was an unknown city. And so most of the Jewish leaders, the religious Pharisees and Sadducees were turned away by John the Baptist here at the river. Their argument was nothing Everything that is holy comes from the holy city of Jerusalem. Everything that is right comes from here. The further you get from Jerusalem, the less holy it is, the less of God it is. This is what they're teaching the people. So even though the prophecy that they have had to study and memorize was that the Messiah would come from Galilee, when they heard that he's Jesus of Nazareth, they were like, see, what is Nazareth? And who comes from there? No one. So this was like a signifier for them to try to turn the people away from what God was doing. It was what the enemy was using. Because the birth of Jesus, at the birth of Jesus, you have all of darkness on the earth start to be pushed back. But here at 30 years old, as he steps into the water and John the Baptist, his cousin, baptizes him, both of which, both boys are doing this completely out of obedience. The moment that happens, all of the enemy stands to attention. Everyone that lives and runs by darkness, the enemy and all its demons go, wait a second, what's going on? And and we know this because all of heaven stood to attention. Watch, as soon as he came out of the water, Mark 1.10, We saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let me ask you, do you think anyone forgot this moment who was present? John 132 says that John the Baptist was told by God that he would be, he would see a sign to affirm that this was the Messiah. It would be that the spirit of God would ascend from heaven, descend from heaven and rest upon Jesus. So in this moment, John, who didn't want to baptize Jesus, willingly goes through it because Jesus is being an example in obedience. He baptizes him and then all of heaven opens. You see the angels there looking down because it's go time. They're like, we have a king that was promised years ago. This is him. God says, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. And now the dove comes just to affirm John the Baptist. Can you imagine this moment? Can you imagine the Pharisees and Sadducees maybe walking away because they've been rejected, but they turn when they hear and see all of this take place and still have the gall to go, it can't be him. It can't be him. What comes from Nazareth? Nothing. So here comes point four, the Messiah, Jesus, the expected king and deliverer of the Jews. 
the ascent of a new king preceded and prevalent by the good news that's stirring in both the Greek and the Hebrew cultures is affirmed because when Jesus is walking on the earth and this, the start of his ministry, the start of it all for him, the most important and most significant thing Mark can talk about is the years that he ministered and it all began right here. What can we learn from this passage? When Jesus walked here, God was speaking. And he opened the heavens and spoke audibly so that all that were present would hear. There would be no questioning this. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, this is not some ho-hum day for John at the office. How many of us have treated even worship in a room like this as cavalier far too often? We come in, we go through the ritual, we leave and move on. How many of you would have loved to been present on this day? Well, John goes, no, I can't baptize you. You baptize me. And Jesus says, this is obedience, brother. High five, I'm in. You do it. And the moment John does it in obedience, all of heaven stands at attention and all the darkness begins to be pushed back even more so. All the demons that we'll read about that are gonna be cast out in the next few days, they're all paying attention. They're all well, in their responses, the response is, Jesus, you have authority over us, but don't, don't cast us out. Let us continue to run rampant here. But the victor, the king, the one of whom God speaks while he's walking the earth has just showed up and just been, listen, here's the distinction between his baptism and ours. Ours is a sign outwardly of an exchange inwardly. When we come to the place where we are contrite or the fact that our sin offends a holy God and we want to give our lives to him, the moment we will confess our sin and repent of that sin, the Holy Spirit comes in because the, what our life now, we're reading about this moment. Our life now is post the resurrection. So the gift of God is eternal life through his son, sealed for all time, it says in Ephesians 1. At the moment of regeneration, we have the spirit. We get that gift. We get that. And all, it says, every spiritual blessing under heaven is given to us in that moment. We're enlisted, royalty, part of the kingdom. But Jesus, let me, let me say what. We're enlisted and our baptism is just an outward expression of the fact that our ministry is beginning to. Hello? Like our baptism is incredibly important. It should come soon after we make that decision for our life to be changed, but it should only come when we're ready to accept the accountability that comes by being known as his because it represents a grave. My old life is laid down. I no longer worship myself. I come up. It is to be known as his, to live as his. And all who are present are to hold me accountable to bear fruit that is good. And I can't bear fruit good, uh, good fruit on my own. Amen? Only from him. So I'm to bear fruit of his life in me. That's my baptism. The baptism of Jesus, here it is. It's a coronation. It's the coronation of the coming king. It's, the pre it's like Jesus goes into the water to be knighted. And the father who is over everything says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Everyone stand at attention. All of goodness and all of darkness stand at attention. This is my son. Isaiah 11:2 said it like this. 
It said, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. This was prophesied. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Matthew 7 is a challenge to anyone who has experienced that and witnessed that coronation, both present in that day and to you and I as we observe it today. It is a challenge on which kingdom we will invest and on which uh, foundation we'll build our lives. We just sang about it, that God, you would bring new wine for me. Though I be pressed, though I be crushed, let new wine come forth from me. Not old life, but new. Matthew 7 says it like this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded a house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, but like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand, that which was going away, that which was deteriorating, that which was temporal, that which was earthly, not eternal. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house till it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like their scribes. Catch that point. It's very important. When he began to teach on the investment that we make with our lives in the things that are either eternal or earthly, he spoke with such authority as the king of all the universe that the scribes, when they taught, distance it. Seems so different. The things that Jesus was saying were, were nothing like their religious leaders and what they were teaching. How many of you experienced the difference of Jesus? Okay. How many of us have experienced the difference of Jesus? Let me ask you, is it driving you to build your life upon the rock that is him or are you still investing in that which is temporal? Making sacrifices that I be comfortable. Making sacrifices that my, my life be set up. Be, making sacrifices that the things when I'm gone and those who are following be taken care of. Which is incredibly important, incredibly wise. But let me ask you, if it supersedes the investment that you and I are making in the kingdom, we are in sin and need to repent. It's not just a repentance for the sake of salvation. That's why we never outgrow the cross. It is daily take up your cross and come after me. So my question is, are we to the place where we are so comfortable in our investment in the temporal that we're about to miss his second coming? He has come and he came with a message and it was repent. And the people around at that time knew that they needed to recognize, they needed to get their lives ready. They needed to be right so they can listen to the kingdom. So they repented but he's coming again, church. Are we ready? What will we say when we stand before him? And he goes, hey, uh, your life, what, like, what'd you do with it? Hey, your life, like I, you went to church and you looked like good fruit, but see, good trees bear good fruit. What good did you do? Like, really? Well, I mean, I took care of my kids. I had a good 401k. I set them up. 
I took care of the generations to come so they could tell about the gospel. What did you do with the good news? What did you do with the euangelion? What did, who did you make aware that the king was here? Well, I, I did that so my kids could. What example did you leave them so they would know what to say when you were gone? Hello, church. This morning, this picture is incredibly significant and it should be a reminder for us and the investment we are making because we didn't deserve, like John, we never deserved to be in this kingdom. John was reluctant because he knew who should be baptizing who. But when the grace of God and the gift of salvation was handed us, we are indebted to invest our lives in that. And there's nothing that rivals it. Nothing. The question is, in our priorities and my priorities and your priorities, is it being rivaled? On which And on what are we building our lives? As we enter the gospel of Mark, we're going to be going through this for some time. I need you to know, we're going through it because the most important name or title that you and I can wear is child of God. A title that neither you nor I deserve, but because of sacrifice, it's been given to us as a gift. This morning, you might be here and you need to accept that gift. You need to recognize that when you were taught by the world that you are unlovable, someone loved you unconditionally and desires to give you new life today. If that's you, we're going to have prayer partners in a moment. You can come talk to them. I'm going to be right here in the front. Come talk to me. But here, church, I'm going to ask the band to come back. Church, listen, this is incredibly important. How many of you go, I'm saved, thank the Lord? Amen. How many of you live with that kind of gratitude day in and day out, so much so that everyone around you knows it? How many people in your life know that you received a gift you did not deserve because of the grace of God in your life and your life response is nothing but gratitude? This morning, we can respond. We can respond because this altar is open and so is his table. We can come and say, God, thank you that you gave your life so that I didn't have to. And there are people in our lives who do not know this truth. They're banking on their own goodness, their own self-righteousness, much like the very Sadducees, the very Pharisees that John wouldn't baptize. And there's a cross that you can ask your church to begin to pray for these people as you pin their name there. But listen, how many of us have someone in our lives that does not know the Lord? Look around, look around, hands high, higher, look around. You're not alone, look at you. Why do we not know this person's name? Why do we not know who you're praying for? Why do we not know who you're living with gratitude before because of a gift that was given you that you didn't earn so that they could know that same gift? Let us join you. Let us pray for one another. Let's bear one of the burdens. That's why God gave us each other, that we lift each other's arms. I have loved ones that are going to walk straight into hell. Hello? Because they don't know the significance of this moment that we just looked at. They don't know there's a king. And they should. I need you praying for them. But I need you praying for me that I'll live like that.
So Father, this morning as we come and we respond to you, King Jesus, may we be just as obedient as Lord you were. You were sinless. There was no stepping into the water for repentance for you, but God, there's a need in your church to repent this morning. May we be obedient to do whatever the Father lead us to do right now. And Jesus, we thank you. You'll be there right with us. That we walk into your open arms. We ask that you have your way with us right now as we seek to make you smile. As we respond to you in Jesus' name.